Well, I want to welcome you to First Methodist Mansfield. My name is David, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And if you're a first-time guest in any of our venues this weekend, we want to say welcome to you, especially if we can help you or bless you in any way. We would love for you to stop by one of the connecting points uh, after the service. Uh, If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 12. Uh, If you have a bulletin, I want to invite you just to turn that over. Uh, If you'd like to take any notes uh, from our time today, you can do so uh, on the back of your bulletin. You'll also see there a link uh, for growpraystudy.org, which is a daily devotion guide that we provide here uh, for you to take our messages each weekend a step deeper into your own personal devotion time. We've been in Romans 12 for quite some time so far, uh, moving through this series called Saved. We've been talking about uh, what's next after we say yes to Jesus. That's been our key theme uh, in this series. And we've been looking at Romans 12 because in Romans 12, Paul outlines, uh, Paul who wrote this letter to the church at Rome, he outlines five components of the Christian life. What does it look like to engage the life uh, that Jesus has called us to live? After we say yes, what's next after that? So if you haven't been here in, in the recent weeks, I want to just kind of catch you up on what we've talked about. We started with the idea that the Christian life begins with grace. It begins with an understanding of God's mercy, God's grace, what God has done on our behalf, God's love in action towards us. And we started there because we said that grace is the lens through which the Christian sees, experiences, and engages with the world. Grace is the lens through which we see, we engage, and we experience the world. And so we, we shared this illustration with you, this picture of it, that what grace does for us, the benefit that grace offers to us is the same benefit that someone who is in need of glasses receives when they slip those on for the first time. Someone who has lived a life that, that's had some fuzziness to it, unable to see really what's going on around them, when they slip those glasses on for the first time and all of a sudden life becomes clear, that's what grace does for us when we really grab hold of it. When we have an appropriate understanding of grace, a a life that lacked clarity, a life that was inherently fuzzy, is suddenly made clear. We see our lives, we see the people in our lives, we see the entire world in a whole different way. And we started there because we said, if you're going to understand what Paul's going to teach you about what it means to live the Christian life, you have to have the glasses of grace on. If you don't, it's not going to make sense. Some of it's going to sound ridiculous. Because it is built on a proper understanding of God's grace and how we respond to that. So we started with that idea that we always begin with grace. And then uh, after that, we talked about the first aspect of that, which is really sacrifice or surrender. That is at the heart of the Christian experience. Sacrifice and surrender. Unconditional surrender of our entire lives to God. Offering to God all that we were, all that we hope to be, all that we are today, all that we have in our life. We say, God, you now have it all. That is what Paul describes as the reasonable response to a proper understanding of all that God has done for us. God has given us the immense gift of his grace, and we live our entire lives as a response to that gift. It may sound crazy, but when you grab hold of grace, it's the reasonable, most logical response to what God has done for us. We offer him our unconditional surrender. And we say, God, we want our life to be your life. We want what, how we live this life to be as you would want us to live that. And so we said to, to tap into that in, in the following weeks, we talked about that the first step in tapping into that is, is changing the way we think. It's seeing our mind as the gate through which we decide what gets to influence our hearts. 
We think about our environments, our relationships, the things that surround us every single day, and the way in which we, we make decisions about what enters into our mind and then has the capacity to influence our hearts. And as we change those environments and as we change those outside circumstances, we, we allow ourselves the possibility of tapping into the heart and the character of God. So that's what we've looked at in recent weeks. So if you've been here, we've been through this uh, for five weeks, and so far we've read two verses from Romans chapter 12. And you may be thinking, this series is never going to end. We're never going to talk about anything. Well, we're going to jump in a, a little bit further this week. I'm going to bite off a bigger piece. So uh, let's do that. Beginning with verse 3, the third verse of chapter 12, it says this. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed with e to each of you. So don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Instead, use sober judgment in the way that you think about yourself in accordance with the faith that God has given to you. Now, if we go back a couple of weeks, in week two, we talked about this very idea. We talked about how we see ourselves and how we think about ourselves. And we said that what the scriptures teach us is that we have been created with an immense capacity for good. We have been created in the image of God, that, that the DNA of God, the goodness, the character, the will, the, all of those good things that we associate with God, that we are actually created in the image of that. There's a part of that that lives within each of us. We have an immense capacity for doing good, and yet what the scriptures teach us is that we also have an unhealthy tendency towards poor decisions and bad decisions that take us in a different way. Here's how Paul describes it in another section of Romans that we haven't looked at yet. Here's how he talks about this, this process, uh, uh, this, this internal tension between uh, inside of us. He, he writes, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. I have the desire to do what is good. In other words, within me, there is this capacity. There is this capacity to do the good thing, the right thing, but I cannot seem to carry it out. For I do not do the good thing I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This is what I keep on doing. And he summarizes this section by saying this, regardless of my desire to do the right thing, it is clear that evil is never far away. Regardless of my desire to do the right thing, this capacity within me for good, what I have learned over the course of my life is that evil always seems to be right there, inviting me into a poor and an unhealthy decision. That's the tension that we all live with. On some levels, it sounds crazy, but on other levels, we go, I get that. That is me. That is my life. That is the tension that I live with. So this last Tuesday, my son turned six. It's a big day, birthday party. Uh, you know, all weekend, last weekend, we had two parties. And then, of course, his birthday's on Tuesday, so you have to have another party. So we're at three parties. We're at three cakes because you can't just use the old cake. I don't know why. It was the same cake we recreated over and over again. So by Wednesday, we had three chocolate cakes in our house with, with ample icing on these chocolate cakes. And there on the island in the kitchen all week long set those chocolate cakes. And there was within me this desire to do the right thing, to do the good thing. 
But all week long, there they were, just right there screaming, eat me, eat me. You want this, you want this. Chocolate cake, ample icing, you want this. And that's the, that's the life that we all live with. We have within us this desire to do the, the right thing, the good thing, and yet we all know that we have this tendency towards the unhealthy decisions, the poor decisions that take us in the opposite direction. So here's what I want you to hear right off the top. I want you to hear this very, very carefully. If that describes your life, if there's a part of that that you hear and you go, man, how did he know that about me? That's weird. Like, that's, that's my life. That's what I live with. You're not alone in that. You're not alone in that. That is a description of the human experience that we all share. We all have within us this immense capacity for good, and we also all have within us this tendency towards poor decisions and decisions that, that undermine the, those good things that we're really trying to create in our life. And sometimes it doesn't even make sense to us why we do the things that we do. You're not alone in that. We're all there in that place. And so Paul says again, don't think of yourself as more highly than you are. Don't, don't think of yourself as, as better than those around you because we all share this. We all need, remember, go back to the very beginning, we all need grace. We all need grace. That's where we all start. And that's where the entire journey of faith happens in that, in that place where we recognize that we need, we need grace. Now, a few weeks ago, we said that when we, when we grab hold of that, what, what is created in us is a sense of humility. That we don't think of ourselves as more than, than, than we are. We don't think of others as less than they are. That humility is also core to the Christian experience. And again, we, we find this note. Verse 3, chapter 12. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. And we find it throughout the letters of Paul. Paul writes in other letters about this idea of humility. In Philippians 2, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. In your relationships, Paul says, have the same mind and heart as Jesus, who was in very nature God. He came from God. He had the glory and goodness of God, but he emptied himself. He became a servant. He, he was found in human form. He humbled himself to death. And this direction, this trajectory that Jesus followed, that's what your life is supposed to be about too. Humility. So we could just stop there and say, okay, Paul's just reminding us again. I mean, he's just resetting this theme again because we need to hear. I mean, maybe you had a really great, great week this week and you're thinking, man, I'm, I'm everything. And this is just your reminder. Hey, again, humility is a big deal. It's a big deal. But Paul doesn't stop there. Paul doesn't stop there by simply saying that humility is a big deal. It's something that we should pursue in our life. He connects it with what he says next. So verse 4, this is what Paul says. For just as each of us has one body with many members, feet and arms and, and legs and hands and noses and ears. We have one body, we have many members, just as we have one body and many members, uh, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. So Paul says, 
Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. That's what he is telling us we need to do. Again, resetting this theme we find throughout the letters of Paul, throughout the New Testament, that humility is a big deal. He tells you what you have to do. And then in verse 4 and 5, he tells you why you have to do that. The reason why you have to do that is you have to come to an understanding that if you've said yes to Jesus, if you've made a decision that you're going to live your life with the glasses of grace, that you're going to offer to God your unconditional surrender, that you're going to go through the process of thinking about your mind and what you allow into your mind and what you allow to influence your heart. If you're serious about this, then here's what you have to understand. You have to humble yourself so that you live with an appropriate understanding that your life does not belong to you anymore. It's not just your life. Because you are now a part of something that is so much bigger than you. It's bigger than your birth date and your end date. It's bigger than your skills and your gifts and your hopes and your dreams. It's bigger than your anxieties and your fears. It's bigger than everything else in your life. You have now been caught up in something that is happening in the world, something that was happening before you were born and something that will continue long after you die. You are now a part of the body of Christ a place where we, those who have said yes, those who have made a surrender, those who have said, I want my life to be a part of this, we come to lose ourselves in this new community that is doing something in the world. Your life does not belong to you anymore, which means that the Christian journey, though we get this wrong all the time, the Christian journey is not an individual journey. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about just going off and kind of getting your heart right with God and figuring this whole thing out. It's not just about loving God, coming to worship. I'm going to go home. I'm going to open the scriptures. I'm going to learn what Jesus wants me to do. We're going to be tight. You know, he's going to be my BFF. We're going to just do all these things together. That's, that's, it's more than that. It can't just be that because your life doesn't belong to you anymore. You're now caught up in something so much bigger than yourself. You are one member of a large body and within the scope of that new family of faith, this new community, you have a part to play in what this entire body is doing in the world. Verse six, he gives you a couple examples of that. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So humble yourself. Think of yourself with sober judgment. Recognize that you're not on an island by yourself, but you are now a part of a body of believers who are doing something in the world. Think of yourself with sober judgment because there is a part that you are called to play. There is a space that you are meant to fill within this entire body of believers that is doing something in the world. If the church is about the movement of God's grace in the world, reforming and reshaping this world as it was always meant to be, bringing hope to broken places, bringing love to people who were in need of it. If that's what we're about, you have to do something in that. 
You have a part to play in that. There is something unique about you that God wants to use in this overall movement that the church, not just this church, but all of the church is a part of bringing into the world. You have a part to play in that story. And the task that you now have before you is to lose yourself in that. To lose your own dreams and your own hopes and your own ambitions into this larger story that God is writing into the world. Which I know, again, to some of us may sound ridiculous. It only makes sense if you have on the glasses of grace. If you understand all that God has done for you already and how we are called to live in response to that. So let me show you what this looks like. So again, I told you we had a birthday party this week. What I've recognized so far with kids is a theme develops with each birthday. So we've had the superhero birthday. We've had the Hot Wheels birthday. We've had the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle birthday. Even though he really didn't know what those were about, he was still excited about the green turtles. I don't know why. This year we had the Lego birthday. Uh, and the reason that we did is because that company is genius. I mean, they know what they're doing. They, they released a movie in February, and they released every single product you can imagine releasing in connection with that movie uh, in the months that followed. So we got Lego Movie t-shirts. We got everything is awesome on you know four or five different shirts. We got, we got the Lego Movie video game, and we got actual Legos this year for, uh, for birthday, which meant that we had a pretty Lego-intensive week at our house, taking all these sets and, and putting them together. Now, when I was a kid, I, I think I just got hand-me-down Legos, you know, when, when I was, so I didn't know that like Legos like fit into a set, like it was more just spare parts that you had something to do with, but, but that's not Legos today. What Legos today end up being is they, they turn into, you know, these kinds of creations, these sets. So this is, I uh, hope you can see this on the video, this is the uh, the speedboat for one of the bad guys in the Marvel series. Let me just show you something that Legos do today that they didn't do 20 years ago or 30 years ago whenever you started playing with Legos. This is amazing. Are you ready? I'm not sure you're ready for this, but we're going to do it anyways. This is what Legos will do today. Legos actually shoot things. Did you see that? I don't know if you could see that. Here's another, boom, you can shoot things with Legos. You couldn't do that when I was a kid. This is a whole new upgrade. Thank you for picking those up and making sure I don't lose those. That's, that's awesome. So that's a new thing that you can do with Legos. And I didn't know that you could, you could take them and, and make them into these, these cool creations. This is the police car from the Lego movie. This is Bad Cop's car, which also you can flip out stuff. And you can still shoot things off this thing, but I don't want to show you that. But again, the Legos don't come this way. They come in a big box of just random spare parts, and you have to follow the instructions in the specific way that they outline for you so that you can have something at the end that looks like this. When you dump it all out, it just looks like junk. It looks like nothing. You pick up these parts, and what in the world does this go for? Well, it might be to make the rocket that shoots the things that now does things that it didn't do 20 years ago. But there's all these parts that play a specific uh, part in the construction of, of this set that you have at the very end. Things that don't look like anything. But if you lose them, it's a problem. <laughs> it's a problem. Because every piece has been specifically engineered to play a particular part in the thing that the Lego set is supposed to do. Now, if you have Legos at, at your house, if you've got some kids at home, you know that, that they don't always stay this way. I mean, you spend a lot of time 
putting this thing together, but they don't always stay in these, these really nice together pieces. And so what you end up having is, we, we have several of these at our house. I hope you can see this at well. This is the spare parts bin uh, of Lego stuff. And here, this is what I got as a kid. You know, the hand-me-downs of all the things that don't really fit on anything anymore. At least you don't think so. And so you look at these spare parts, and, and, and when you just glance at them, you think to yourself, well, where, where does this fit? What, what, is, what does this thing do? It doesn't seem to make any sense when you just see it like this. And yet, here, here's the idea. That every piece fits somewhere. Every piece fits somewhere. Every piece was specifically made and engineered in such a way that it would fit somewhere. That it would fulfill some important function, that it would play its part, that it would fill its space, that it would do what only it could do in order to build the thing that you want to build. Many of us, we, we feel like our life is this. It's just a spare part. I don't know, I don't know where this fits. And yet, it, it is a life that has been specifically built and engineered to do something in the movement of grace that God is bringing into the world. Now, if that's true, I think there's a couple implications for us. The first is that for some of us, we're not the piece that we think we are. I mean, some of us would love to be the headlight on Bad Cop's car, but that's just not the part that we want to play. Some of us think, wow, I'd love this, this is awesome. I'd love to be the rocket that shoots, but that's not the part that we've been called to play. And some of the frustration in our life and the lack of growth in our life is, is built on the idea that we're trying to play a part that we were never meant to play. There's something else that looks attractive to us. There's something else that we get pulled to, and yet we've been engineered, we've been made in such a way that we've been called to, to do something else. The, the other imp- implication is just the reminder that even though some of us have no idea what our life is about, what we're supposed to be doing, there is something. Every piece fits somewhere. Every piece fits somewhere within the scope of, of this family of faith. There is something that we as a church body cannot do without you. Without you fulfilling whatever function it it is that you are called to fulfill, without you investing yourself in the community that is doing something, there's something that's missed. There's something that's lost. There is immense potential within these services of worship of people who are here who have gifts and talents that can be used for the glory of God. If only, if only you would have the courage to pursue whatever it is that God would call you to do. But, But this is for me... And maybe for you, the most important implication. What this means is that the most significant thing in your life will not be something that you do. It will be something that you're a part of. The most significant thing in your life will not be something that you do. It will not be the thing that has your name on it and is all about you. The most significant thing in your life will be the things that you get to be a part of. The things that at the end of your life you look back and you think to yourself, that was so special to be a part of that group of people. That was so special to play a a, a tiny part in, in that thing that we saw happen in that place. That was so special to be connected to to those relationships. It was such an honor to be there if only for a day, to have a front row seat to that thing that I got to see happen in the world and I got to play a part in that thing that happened. 
the most significant thing in your life is not something that you do, which means that many of us are wasting an immense amount of energy trying to find something in our life that we think is significant enough to do rather than simply playing the part that we have been called to play. I know there are going to be people who are listening to this message this weekend. You're, you're at that stage in your life where, where you're investing in your education. You're thinking about the next step of what you're going to do. You're thinking about a career, the thing that you want to build. You're thinking about the life that you want to build. You're maybe thinking about the name that you want to build, the, 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 the place that you're going to go that's going to provide the money that will allow you to do the things that you want to do. But your life's not about that. It's not. It would be so easy to miss that. It would be so easy to pursue a life that is all about you, but at the end of it, you will not find the significance that you want. The most significant things in your life will be those things that you will say, I got to be a part of that. I was just that random spare part that played one little piece in that story, but I got to be there. I got to see God doing amazing things because I got that front row seat And I played a part that no one else could play. I showed up. And I did what God had called me to do. Those are the things that are significant. Those are the things that are meaningful to us. Those are the things that at the end of our life we say, that thing will go on because of the other people that I invested in and the way that God used that to bring hope, to bring love, to bring grace, to bring peace into the world. This last week, I was uh, visiting with a pastor here in town, and one of the things that he said, just kind of offhand comment to me that I I thought was so meaningful, he said, you know, most Americans tend towards entitlement and individualism. That's what our culture really teaches. It teaches entitlement and individualism. It places the self at the center of our lives, and it says this is what life is about. It's all about you. You know what the scriptures teach? The scriptures teach sacrifice, and the scriptures teach community. They teach sacrifice, and they teach community. And so one of the ways that you can filter your life, if you think about the current commitments of your life, because I know some of you are thinking, I have a part to play. Well, I'm playing lots of parts right now. I don't need any more. I'm rather too busy to do anything else. But you can filter your life by looking at the things that you're invested in, thinking about the commitments of your life, and asking yourself the question, is this about entitlement? Is this about individualism? Is this just about my life? Or is this something I'm committed to because I am intentionally sacrificing my life and I'm investing in the community, whether it's my family or a school community or a church or a group of friends, whatever it might be, is this something that's about me or is this something I'm investing in because of the way that it benefits others? Those are the things that are significant. Those are the things that help us grow in grace. Those are the things that, 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 that make up what life, the life of faith is really all about. So here's the invitation for you this week as you think about this next step. I want to invite you this week to practice some sober judgment, to think about your life and say, where do I fit? Where do I fit? What is it that I'm passionate about? What is it that, that I do that, 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 that other people appreciate about me? How is it that I'm investing in others? And what is it that they would say about me and the, and the part that I play in that? Practice some sober judgment and invite some honest feedback. Ask people, what do you appreciate about me? And if there's crickets, deal with that. I mean, if there's silence, if there's nothing coming back, then deal with that. Deal with that. Don't run from it. Don't ever run from honesty. 
invite some honest feedback. Take some time to think about your current commitments. Are these about entitlement? Is this about my own, my own pursuit, my own life? Or is this about sacrifice? Is this about community? And then reach out, find a place where you might serve in such a way that you can be a part of movement. You can play your part in the thing that God is doing in the world. You have a part to play. There's an there's incredible, incredible potential right here in the people who are here this weekend to, to bring to our world the goodness and grace of God, to be the fulfillment of our own prayers of thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Lord, may what you will, may what you want be true in me and true in my world by the way I live my life. That's the invitation to see your life as something that is bigger than yourself, to see yourself as a part of the movement of grace in the world. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would bless each of us with humility, Lord. That you would allow us to look in the mirror and to see our lives appropriately. Which for some of us, Lord, may be a process of stepping back and recognizing that we are not what we think we are. That maybe, Lord, we have over-evaluated ourselves, seen ourselves as more important than we should. Maybe, Lord, we need that wake-up call today. But I know for others, Lord, there are some who need to hear a different message. That when they look in the mirror, they need to see something, someone that is loved and treasured and equipped and capable of doing amazing things by your grace. They may need today, Lord, the reminder that that you have called them, that you have equipped them, and that you are ready to send them to be a part of what you are doing in the world. Wherever we are, Lord, we pray that you would give us sober judgment, that we would evaluate ourselves in a way that would be in accordance with the faith that you have given us, and that we would respond in courage, however you would lead us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.